Section 18 of The Crimson Circle by Edgar Wallace. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anna Simon. Chapter 42. Mother. In the room, three men had mysteriously appeared, the three who had captured Pa's spy two nights before, and in a second Yale was manacled hand and foot. A deft hand jerked the pistol that he carried from his pocket, and a third man dropped a cloth bag over his head and face, and he was hurried from the room. Inspector Parr wiped the perspiration from his streaming forehead and faced his amazed audience. "'Gentlemen,' he said a little shakily, "'if you will excuse me for tonight, I will tell you the whole of this story tomorrow.' They surrounded him, plying him with questions, but he could only shake his head. "'He's had a very bad time,' it was the colonel's voice and nobody knows it better than I. I should be very glad, Prime Minister, if you could accede to the inspector's request and allow the further explanation to stand over until tomorrow. Perhaps the inspector will lunch with us, said the Premier, and his commissioner accepted on Parr's behalf. Gripping Jack's arm, Parr marched from the room and into the street. A taxicab was awaiting him, and he bundled the young man in. "'I feel that I've been dreaming,' said Jack, when he'd found his voice. "'Derek Yale! Impossible! And yet—' "'Oh, it's possible, all right,' said the inspector with a little laugh. "'Then he and Thalia Drummond were working together?' "'Exactly,' was the reply. "'But, inspector, how did you get on to this story?' "'Mother put me on to it.' was the unexpected answer. "'You don't realize what a clever old lady mother is. She told me tonight.' "'Then she's come back?' "'Yes, she's come back,' said the inspector. "'I want you to meet her. She's a bit dogmatic, and she's inclined to argue, but I always let her have her way in that respect.' "'And you may be sure I shall, too,' laughed Jack, though he did not feel like laughing." "'You really believe that the Crimson Circle is in your hands?' "'I am sure of it,' said the inspector. "'As sure as I am sitting in this taxicab with you, "'and as sure as I am that Grandmother is the wisest old lady in the world.' Jack maintained a silence until they were turning into the avenue. "'Then this means that Thalia is dragged a little lower,' he said quietly. If this man Yale is, as you believe, the Crimson Circle, he will not spare her. I am certain of that, said the inspector. But, Lord bless you, Mr. Beardmore, why trouble your head about Thalia Drummond? Because I love her, you damned fool, said Jack savagely, and instantly apologized. I know I'm a bit of a fool, the inspector spoke, between gusts of laughter. "'But I'm not the only one in London, Mr. Beardmore, believe me. "'And if you'll take my advice, you'll forget that Thalia Drummond ever existed. "'And if you've got any love to spare, why, give it to Mother.' "'Jack was about to say something uncomplimentary about this paragon of a grandmother, "'but suppressed his desire. "'The inspector's maisonette was on the first floor, and he went up the stairs ahead, opened the door, and stood for a moment in the doorway. "'Hello, mother,' he said. "'I've brought Mr. Jack Beardmore to see you.' 
Jack heard an exclamation. "'Come in, Mr. Beardmore. Come in and meet Mother.' Jack stepped into the room and stood as if he'd been shot. Facing him was a smiling girl, a little pale and a little tired-looking, but undoubtedly, unless he were mad or dreaming, Thalia Drummond. She took his outstretched hand in hers and led him to the table, where a meal for three was laid. "'Daddy, you told me you were going to bring the commissioner,' she said reproachfully. "'Daddy?' stammered Jack. "'But you told me she was your grandmother.' She patted his hand. "'Daddy has developed a sense of humour, which is very distressing,' she said. "'I'm always called Mother at home, because I've mothered him ever since my own dear mother died, and that story about his grandmother is nonsense, but you must forgive him.' "'Your father?' said Jack. Thalia nodded. "'Thalia Drummond Pa, that is my name. Thank goodness you aren't a crime investigator, or you would have made inquiries and discovered my ghastly secret. Now, eat your supper, Mr. Beardmore. I cooked it myself.' But Jack could neither eat nor drink until he had learned more, and she proceeded to enlighten him. "'When the first of the Crimson Circle murders occurred,' and Daddy was put into the case, I knew that he had a tremendous work in front of him, and that the chances were he would fail. Daddy has a lot of enemies at headquarters, and our commissioner asked him not to take the case, knowing how difficult it was going to be. You see, the commissioner is my godfather, she added smilingly, and naturally he takes an interest in our affairs. But Daddy insisted, though I think he regretted it the moment he had taken it on. I've always been interested in police work, and just as soon as father got behind the Crimson Circle organization, and knew the methods that the Circle employed to gather its recruits, I decided to start upon a career of crime. Your father received the first threat three months before it was put into execution. It was two or three days afterwards that I secured a post as secretary to Harvey Froyant, for no other reason than that his estate adjoined yours. He was a friend of your father, and it gave me an opportunity of watching. I tried to get employment with your father. Perhaps you don't know that, she said quietly. But I failed. Even more dreadful, I was in the wood when he was killed. She squeezed his hand sympathetically. I didn't see who it was who fired the shot, but I flew forward to where your father was lying, only to discover that he was beyond help, and then seeing you through the trees running across the meadows towards the wood i thought i'd better get away the more so she added since i had a revolver in my hand at the time for i had seen a man stalking in the wood and had gone in to investigate with the death of your father there was no longer any need for me to remain in the service of mr froyant i wanted to get closer to the crimson circle and i knew the best way to attract the attention of the man who controlled the gang was for me to embark on a criminal career. It was not providential that you were passing the pawn-shop when I came out after pledging Mr. Froyant's golden image. My father manoeuvred that, and when he described me as a thief and an associate of crooks, it was to create an atmosphere which would impress Derek Yale, or Ferdinand Walter Lightman, to give him his real name. There was no danger of my being sent to prison, the magistrate treated me as a first offender, but my reputation was gone. 
and immediately after, as I expected, I received a summons to meet the head of the Crimson Circle. I met him one night in Stain Square. I think Daddy was watching me all the time and shadowed me back to the house. He was never far away, were you, darling? Only at Barnet, he shook his head. I was scared there, mother. My first task as a member of the Crimson Circle was to go to Brabazon. You see, Yale's method was to set one member to spy upon another. Mr. Brabazon puzzled me. I was never quite sure whether he was straight or crooked, and of course I had no idea at first that he was a member of the gang. I had to begin stealing again in order to sustain my character. It brought down on me a reprimand from my mysterious chief, but it served a useful purpose, for it brought me into contact with a gang of crooks, and led unconsciously to my being present in Marisburg Place when Felix Marl also died. Yale's object in employing me was to divert suspicion from himself, besides which he had intended a very pretty ending to my youthful life. The night he killed Froyant, I was ordered to be in the vicinity of the house with a similar knife and the fellow gauntlet to that which Yale used himself in his dreadful crime. "'But how did you escape from prison?' asked Jack. She looked at him with amusement in her eyes. "'You dear boy,' she said. "'How could I escape from prison? I was let out by the governor in the middle of the night, and escorted to my home by a respectable inspector of police.' "'We wanted to force Yale's hand, you see,' explained Pa. "'As soon as he knew that Mother was out, he got rattled and began to hurry his preparations for flight. When he found that his office had been burgled, he was pretty sure that Thalia was something more than he had dreamt she was.'" Chapter 43 The Story Continued Jack went to the luncheon party the next day, and so too did Thalia, who had played such a part, and was the public heroine of the hour. After lunch, the inspector completed his story. "'If you take your minds back, gentlemen, you will remember that the name of Derek Yale had never been heard until the first of the Crimson Circle murders. It is true that he had established himself in a city office, that he had issued circulars, had put advertisements in the paper describing himself as a psychometric detective, but the cases which came to him were very few. Of course, he did not want any cases. He was working up to his big coup. It was after the first murder, you remember, that Derek Yale was employed by a newspaper which wanted a good sensational story to employ his psychometric powers in the tracking of the criminal. Who knew better than Yale the name of the murderer and how the murder was committed? You remember that he was able to reconstruct the crime by feeling the weapon with which it was committed, and, in consequence, a black man was arrested in exactly the spot where Derek Yale said he would be. Naturally, when these facts were disclosed, Yale's reputation rose sky-high. It was the very situation that he expected. He knew now that a man threatened by the Crimson Circle would be inclined to call in his assistance, and that is just what happened. 
by being near his victims and gaining their confidence for yale was a most convincing type of man he was able to urge them to pay the demands of the crimson circle and if they refused he was on hand to encompass their death froyan might not have died and certainly would not have died at yale's hands but for the fact that annoyed by losing so much money he made inquiries himself starting on a hypothesis which was based upon the faintest suspicion he worked up the case against derrick yale and was able to identify lightman and derrick yale as one and the same person on the night of his death he sent for us intending to make this disclosure and as a proof that he was in some fear he had two loaded revolvers by his hand and it is well known that froyant disliked intensely the employment of firearms and you will remember if you have read the official minutes of the case the commissioner rang up froyant in response to a call which harvey froyant had put through that call gave yale his opportunity it was an excuse for froyant sending us out of the room i went first never dreaming that he would dare do what he did when we went into the room we wore our overcoats and i particularly noticed that derrick yale kept his hand in his pocket on the hand gentlemen he said impressively was a motor driver's gauntlet and in that hand was the knife that slew Fruyant. but why did he wear the glove asked the prime minister in order that his hand which i should see immediately afterwards should not be blood-stained the moment my back was turned he lunged straight at froyant's heart and froyant must have died instantly he slipped off the glove and left it on the table walked to the door and seemed to be carrying on a conversation with a man who was already dead i knew this had happened but i had no proof he had brought my daughter there intending to get her into the house which we immediately searched with the intention of accusing her of the crime but she very wisely went no farther than to the back of the house and then suspecting his plot went home but i am anticipating amongst the people whom we had to guard was james beardmore and james beardmore was a land speculator a man who knew all kinds of people good and bad that day he was expecting a visit from marl whom he had never seen and he mentioned marl's name earlier in the day to his son but not to derrick yale as marl came toward the house the last person in the world he expected to see was his fellow criminal of toulouse jail a man whom he had betrayed to his death Derek Yale must have been standing at the end of the shrubbery, and Marl caught a momentary glimpse of him, and went back to the village, ostensibly to London, in a panic of fright, determined in his fear that he would kill Lightman before Lightman killed him. His courage must have oozed. He was not a particularly brave man, and instead he wrote a letter to Yale, pushing it under his window a letter which yale read and partially burned what the letter was i cannot tell you 
except it was probably a statement that if he, Marl, was left alone, he would leave Yale alone. He could not have known in what capacity Mr. Derrick Yale was posing. The words Block B undoubtedly referred to the block at Toulouse Prison. From that moment, Marl was a doomed man. He was conducting a little blackmail of his own with Brabazon, an agent of the Crimson Circle, and Brabazon must have intimated the danger to Yale, who, in his capacity as detective, visited the shop to which all the Crimson Circle letters were addressed, and on the pretext of aiding justice, opened them, of course, and saw their contents without having the responsibility of being the person to whom they were addressed. It was Brabazon's intention to bolt on the day of Marl's murder, and with that object he had cleared out the whole of Marl's balance and had made preparations for flight. On Marl's death, suspicion naturally fell upon him, and, intimated by the Crimson Circle that he was in danger, he hurried off to the riverside house which we searched. Detective Inspector Parr chuckled. When I say we searched it, I mean Yale searched it. In other words, he went into the room where he knew Brabazon was and came down reporting that all was clear. There's one point I'd like you to clear up. The chloroforming of Yale in his office, said the Prime Minister. That was clever and deceived me for a moment. Yale handcuffed, strapped and chloroformed himself after he had put the money in an envelope and dropped it down the letter chute. It was addressed to his private residence. Do you remember, sir, that the postman left the building, having cleared the box a few minutes after the outrage? Unfortunately for Yale, I had let Thalia into the room and put her into the cupboard, where she witnessed the whole comedy and retrieved the chloroform bottle which he had put into a drawer of his desk. The last victim, Mr. Raphael Willings, here Parr spoke very clearly and deliberately, owes his life to the fact that he conceived an unhealthy attachment for my daughter. She was struggling with him when, looking over her shoulder, she saw a hand come from behind the curtain holding the very knife that had been stolen earlier in the day by Yale, again in his capacity as detective. It was aimed at Mr. Willings's heart, but by a superhuman effort she thrust him aside, but not so far as to save him completely. Yale, of course, was on hand to discover the outrage. I should imagine he was very annoyed when he found it was not a murder, and of course he had no difficulty in fixing it upon mother, upon Thalia Drummond Parr. "'Consider the cleverness of his operations,' said Parr admiringly. He had thrust himself into the front rank of private detectives so that he was on hand to receive information which was invaluable to him as the Crimson Circle. He was eventually taken to police headquarters, at my suggestion, where the most important documents came under his notice. Some of them were not quite as important as he thought, but it saved Mr. Beardmore's life when Yale had the first handling of a photograph of himself taken a few moments before the abortive execution. Now, gentlemen, are there any other points that you wish cleared up? 
there is one i will clear up which is probably not obscure two days ago i told yale that great criminals are usually brought to their end through ridiculous mistakes yale had the effrontery to tell me that he had called at mr willings's house after he had left and that the servants had told him where thalia and willings had gone that alone was sufficient to damn him because he had not been near willings's house since the morning and had arrived at the country place at least an hour before the servants had come the question that disturbed me for the moment said the prime minister is what reward we can give you to your daughter mr parr your promotion is of course an easy matter to arrange for there is an assistant commissionership vacant at this moment but i don't exactly see what we can do for miss drummond except of course to give her the monetary reward which is due for having brought about the capture of this dangerous criminal then a husky voice spoke it sounded to jack as though it were his and the rest of the people about the table seemed to be under the same impression there is no need to bother about miss parr said this strange voice that was speaking jack's thoughts we are getting married very soon when the buzz of congratulation had subsided inspector parr leaned toward his daughter you didn't tell me mother he said reproachfully i didn't even tell him she said looking at jack wonderingly do you mean to say he hasn't asked you to marry him demanded her amazed father she shook her head no she said and i haven't told him i would marry him either but i had a feeling that something like this would happen lightman or yale as he was best known was an exemplary prisoner his only complaint against the authorities was that they would not let him smoke on his way to his execution they order these things much better in france he said to the governor now the last time i was executed to the chaplain he expressed the warmest interest in thalia drummond there's a girl in a million he said i suppose she will marry young beardmore he is a very lucky fellow personally women arouse very little enthusiasm in me and i ascribe my success in life to this fact but if i were a marrying man i think thalia drummond would be the very type i should search for he liked the chaplain because the padre was a big human man who could talk interestingly on places and things and people and derrick yale had seen most of the fascinating places in the world on a grey march morning a man came into his cell and strapped his hands yale looked at him over his shoulder have you ever heard of monsieur pallion he was a member of your profession the executioner did not reply being by etiquette forbidden to discuss other matters than the prisoner's forgiveness for the deed which was about to be committed you should find out something about pallion said yale as the procession formed and profit by his example never drink drink was my ruin if it were not for drink i should not be here this little conceit kept him amused all the way to the scaffold they slipped the noose about his neck and covered his face with a white cloth and then the executioner stepped back to the steel lever 
"'I hope this rope won't break,' said Derrick Yale. It was the last message from the Crimson Circle. The End End of The Crimson Circle by Edgar Wallace Recorded for LibriVox.org by Anna Simon In the year 2017 in Nijmegen, the Netherlands.